For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. As a Ravens fan, it pains me to say this, but the 11-0 Steelers look like a pretty good Super Bowl bet at this point. They have everything from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online, and there's always the online casino as well. It literally never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. We have some uh, big time news for for you guys this week, as I'm sure all Wizards fans have heard by this point on on Thursday evening. The Washington Wizards have a new starting point guard. Larry, I want to just get your initial thoughts right off the bat here. What do you think about the trade? What do you think about Russell Westbrook? Well, initially we we talked before when the when the rumors were going about the fit, if we thought it would be a good fit. And I didn't necessarily think it would be, you know, the best fit. But as you go through, you know, the draft and you go through free agency and me looking for that that shot in the arm or that jolt, I mean, this is exactly what that is. Uh, it's a, and I think it can be a positive shot in, in the arm. So I'm, I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking to see what happens. You're the first person I thought of when I heard the trade because it kept – I kept going back to to your statement about like they haven't done anything so far that makes the other teams in the you know the conference go oh shit like this at least made other teams kind of like sit up in their chair a little bit and whether that's for for good or bad I mean you know I, I think you could make some arguments either way but you know last year people keep talking about how he's on the decline and and people seem to be basing that solely on his play in the bubble where he was dealing with COVID we still don't really know the extensive what that does to a person he also had a quad injury so yeah he shot like 35 percent from the field in the bubble and averaged 17 points a game but for the year he put up 27 8 and 7 and for like a month and a half was almost unguardable and they found like the right way to utilize him in Houston and they went super small you know to account for his lack of shooting but the Wizards have enough shooting at the other positions I think to set him up to be successful so the more I think about it, I'm actually kind of okay with the fit. Yeah, I mean, I, I see it as, again, as, as a new and a fresh opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's a new and a fresh opportunity. We have to understand that, that Russ has been to or been through, you know, obviously the OKC where he's, you know, obviously was a, a, a point, the point guy, the main guy, and then going, you know, to Houston and now going to D.C. So now this is his third stop. So, you know, really understanding what he's trying to accomplish. You do have shooters. You do have young talent. 
putting that guy on any lineup, it should make them better. I mean, regardless of his, his shooting woes or the things that he, he doesn't do well, he, he does enough good things well to compensate, you know, some of that negative, you know, that negative play. So I, I see it as, a, as an opportunity, an opportunity to figure out, you know, where Russ wants to be and how he wants to play and then utilizing the young talent that you have on the roster right now to, to get some wins. I mean, right now you got to be focused on getting some wins. You know, he gets a rap for, for his sort of media issues and, and being kind of prickly to the media and stuff. But there were a couple times in the locker room after games last year where they just got, like, abused defensively. And every single person talked about how, oh, the rest of the team needs to put in more effort defensively. Scott Brooks' this press conference was, these guys need to guard more. Like, Westbrook's maybe not like a lockdown defender, but I just feel like he's somebody that's going to play so hard that it forces other people to play harder and, and will also hold them accountable. Like, like Brad, for all the great things he does, he says, you know, guys need to step it up, but he also didn't really back that up himself on the defensive end. So, you know, you might not be adding a defensive stopper, but I, I think he probably raises your defensive ceiling, at least from an effort standpoint. You're, you're adding an, an active guy, an aggressive guy, a guy that's not going to take any shit. So it's hard for these guys to play defense in this league with somebody that's going to run around like a Tasmanian devil and have skill to, to him running around like a Tasmanian devil. Again, it's all about getting wins at this point. And for, you know, he's an MVP. Yep. I mean, he's an MVP for all the negative things that, that you can say about Russ's game. He's a bona fide MVP and he's in the conversation multiple years. And for that, I think that you have to welcome him into you know, the team and, and take all the things that have come with them in, the, in order to get wins. I mean, that has to be the, the, the main goal. There's all this talk about how he padded his rebounding stats and Steven Adams, you know, was told to like dive out of the way to let Russ get defensive rebounds. But you can't fake assists, at least in, in my view of things. So if we're talking about somebody that could make these other guys better, there weren't a lot of guys that could get these guys easy looks last year. And we had already talked about on a previous podcast about how efficient, like hyper-efficient Beal and Bertans were on the court together and what Wall could do for that. I think Westbrook does those same things. Like he led the league in the assists at some point and has been top three a couple other years. You, you can't fake that. Yeah, I think he has the focus. And that takes a lot of focus to do that night in and night out, where the guys are moving out of the way uh, whether you're getting six or seven assists off of guys in transition shooting layups, it's tough to do that night in and night out. Mm -hmm. And talk about a guy that's averaged a triple-double over multiple seasons is, I mean, it's its hard to pick something bad out of, a, you know, Stephen Adams moving out of the way because a lot of times you saw that. Yeah. But in the scheme of their game, you want to get the ball in his hands as fast as you can. So, and, you know, instead of passing him the ball after a free throw, if he already has it, he's just putting that much more pressure on the defense. And I think that that was the makeup of his OKC team and trying to figure out how that was going to work within Houston with James handling the basketball a lot in the thousand dribble basketball game. It's, you know, it was a, it was a challenge. And obviously they didn't want to go at it a second year. But a guy that's going to, you know, that's average a triple-double in the conversation for MVP, uh, doing it night in and night out, I, I, I can't complain at all. 
you know, the makeup of those Oklahoma City teams, I think you hit on a really important thing there. He was surrounded by like a lot of good athletes and physical guys, but but never like a lot of shooters. So for him, it was rush the ball up the court, like you said, do that before the defense gets set. Now it's the floor is really spread for him. And you saw how that worked in Houston. And I'm a little biased, but I, I think a Bertans, Beal, Bryant spread, spread offense there is is better than what Houston had to offer. So I just, I'm excited to see him in sort of that context. Yeah, I'm excited to see how, when you talk about surrounding Russ with shooters and there'll be guys that play with Russ in OKC teams that a post that they shot 40% from the three or, but when you talk about getting volume shots, you know, you're getting a number of shots through the course of the game, you know, not just your three to four and you guys, the ability to knock those shots down, like, Brad, Berton, like those guys are going to knock those shots down in volumes. I think that that's an advantage to Russ's game as well. Did you ever have any triple doubles in your career, Larry? I might have had one or two. I mean, it, it's hard. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's hard. Right? I can get 15 rebounds and then only have four assists. Sure. It's, it's tough to, to get a triple double in the league. And for a guy that averaged the triple double, that is insane. And I don't think we talk about that enough honestly, but his name is fresh in the press. So man, that's, that's insane. Yeah. People have just totally like dismissed that as like a, you know, a a parlor trick and a gimmick. I just, there are so many great players that go their entire career and and don't notch one. Listen, man, you got these guys out here scoring 60 points, 70 points, and it's almost easy to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you get a lot of shots, you get a lot of possessions. The three ball is, is very hot. But for a guy to average a triple-double, I mean, that's, that's tough. Did you ever guard Russ at any point or play against him? You know what? Early on, he was really a wild man, you mm-hmm. know, and didn't have a lot of you know, understanding of, of how to maneuver within the, you know, within the NBA game. So I didn't get a chance to guard the Mamba mentality sort of Russ, which obviously learned that there was skill and will had to be put together. Uh, he was really willing it when I was playing against him. I think maybe a first couple years of, of him getting into the league. Uh, but you can see him. Mean, he was a guy that wouldn't stop. He was my matchup. And, mm-hmm. you know, somebody shoot the ball and he's just going to attack the rim. I mean, that's that's what he did from, from day one. I would imagine that he's probably in the top couple percent of, of athletes, just like pure athletes of, of guys you ever had to guard. For sure. Uh, him and Derrick Rose were very comparable to, you know, as far as you know, talking about being athletes, especially at that size, being a, those compact guys. Uh, but those are two guys that were very athletic. Uh, there was one quote that I saw in an article from, from David Aldridge of The Athletic that stuck out. And I want to read this to you real quick. It says, do Wall and Beal still like each other? Yes. But did Beal want to play, want to wait anymore for Wall to get back to where he was before the injuries? Did he believe Wall was as diligent about his rehab as he could have been? Did he want to get back to a supporting catch-and-shoot role, which seemed inevitable, even as Wall professed he'd played differently with Beal going forward? Seeing how Beal's game had grown the last two years, the answer is no. I uh, just want to get your, your take on that. Do you, do you think Beal was really kind of driving this behind the scenes? No, I think he, I think his game has expanded. So he's no longer a guy that's going to, you know, just do the catch and shoots. Like he wants to work off the pick and roll game. He wants to create offense. But that was just the evolution of his game. I think his, his mainstay is obviously his, his ability to shoot the ball, and that's going to keep him around uh, for a very long time. 
but a guy that's putting in a lot of hours in the gym in the offseason, especially working on his ball handling, working on his ability to create, and for one of his, his main teammates to be out a couple years, he's not going backwards, right? I mean, we're either going to share pick and roll responsibilities or everything that I've put in to this organization, to this team over the last two years should put me ahead of, of you at, at this point. So I don't think that he's driving into those conversations, but I think when you have an agent and you have a relationship with the organization, they know your thoughts and they know that you're ready to take that next step and will those guys compliment each other? I thought it, they had a chance, um, but there was some fake stuff going on. There wasn't real things being said by either one of those guys that made a lot of sense to me. Everybody sort of shits on the the air quotes media, you know, the national media at large is like the bad guy in a lot of these things. But again, if there's like four years of, hey, these guys don't like to play together, there's probably something to that. Someone saying something, it may be throwaway comments here or there, but you'll just never convince me that these guys loved the fit. No, somebody knows somebody, right? I mean, everybody has conversation. Everybody has a social media page. You know, everybody is sharing comments in group texts. So this information gets out. It's not just happening happening out of the blue. So if these guys aren't saying it personally, like, you know, exactly from their mouth, then they told someone something yeah. that that person has now shared with the, you know, third, fourth, fifth party. But information that gets out, man, especially when you get the no comment, after the question is that, you know that it was said. Like a ding, 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 like it goes off. You know that it was said. So I'm curious about sort of the timeline of things on the organization perspective. Tommy Shepard said in media availability, like less than two weeks ago, you know, definitively hand on, you know, fist banging on the table, like we are not trading John Wall. Is that just him saying that at the time to try to give himself some flexibility or or do you think at the time they really thought hey we can salvage this thing and maybe we won't rule it out but like or, or was that just a smoke screen all along in your opinion well i think everybody and we all understand that everybody can be moved mm-hmm. right any general manager in front i mean we all understand that we can be moved so for somebody to tell you that you you won't be moved or can't be moved Don't buy it you have to understand that that's not completely true so I think what what Tommy is saying is that our expectation is not to move John we hope in our hope he figures it out or him and Brad can get on the same page if that's the issue but I think that that was made because the expectation especially rolling into a season where he is going to get the opportunity to get back out on the court we've invested so much in John we're not going to move him but someone calls and there's someone's complaining, then you have to, you know, let things take care of themselves. A lot of the talk has been centered around what kind of teammate Westbrook is going to be for everybody. And you have two lottery picks the last two years. And I think Denny, maybe from what I've seen so far, less so than Rui, but, but Rui just kind of struck me as like this, um, like this doe-eyed, you know, like I'm very innocent to things. Like I just want to come in and, and play basketball and have fun. You hear a lot about about Westbrook and there's some Kobe comparisons and how he might be tough on teammates. Any concern on, on your end or anything you've ever heard over the years about Russ and how he might be hard on a rookie or, or should we be worried about anything from that perspective, I guess? Man, everything that I've heard about Russ has been positive. 
I have I've heard zero of him getting on teammates or you know his teammates not liking him either during the time that they play or after. Don't really hear a lot of gripes as far as to him just being a bad teammate. He's had some stops, so you can go back to those teammates and you can ask or it'll come out some way. And I haven't heard anything. I think he will up the intensity, mm-hmm. which if you're trying to compete, you're trying to win, you're that's trying good. to put yourself in a position, that's a positive thing. And you'll see those that follow because we're all professionals. We all, you know, have put in a lot of work and those that don't meet that intensity or don't want to go to that sort of level, then, you know, that's when front office steps in and understands the pieces that are needed to, to compete and be successful. But I like the fact that he's going to come in and his history shows that he's going to up the intensity. And I think that that's a positive thing, especially for a team that's teetering, you know, just kind of in, you know, a little bit of no man's land right now. I never really got a good sense for what kind of relationship John Wall and Scott Brooks actually had. And you hear nothing but how much uh, Russ and and Brooks respect each other. I think maybe he gives Scott Brooks more credibility right off the bat too. Not that, you know, a coach has been here for half a decade at this point needs more credibility, but maybe it just makes his job a little bit easier of if your best player is like clearly buying in or not maybe best, one of your two best players there or highest paid player is, is sort of supporting what you're doing and what you're throwing out. So I'm hopeful that that maybe helps Brooks have a little more cachet with things and enforce, you know, defense and effort and all the things we didn't really see last year. And Scott Brooks is on the last year of his contract. I wouldn't be surprised if we see something in the next couple of days that says, by the way, we just gave Scott Brooks another year or an extension or two years or whatever. It, it, it would shock me if he's Westbrook's guy and you would let him play out the year as a lame duck coach. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think just John probably spent way too much time next to Scott in, in a suit, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that, that weighs on you, right? Mm-hmm. You, you want that guy out there on the court. Uh, that guy wants to be out there in the court. It's just not working out. So when you get a guy that you're familiar with, you know, that you've been able to, to go in, into battles with, and you know what sort of competitor he is, the things that you were using as motivation tools and things that you were trying to implement the last few years may not have caught on. But again, when you bring a guy that, that you've gone to battle with, uh, especially a guy of that caliber and of that intensity, uh, he can help the message out. And it can be a positive for, for both sides. And if that works, then obviously you want to make sure that the coach is there to create the stability that you need to continue to move forward and continue to win games. Yeah, for sure. Be interesting to see when and if how long it takes them to come up with some kind of a, announcement around that. Or maybe they do the secret extension like they did for Grunfeld his, his last year there. Just sort of circling back to John Wall's overall tenure here in D.C., I can't think of an athlete for a pro sports team that I that I root for that I personally have had just sort of like as complicated a set of feelings about. Like, you know, Gilbert was great here, but his run was was shorter than Walls. It it ended in in more dramatic fashion, you know, fashion with the gun stuff. But like, I fundamentally f- look back super fondly on Gilbert, and even at the time, I was like, oh, it's just you know, Gil being Gil. So I like immediately gave him the pass. I think part of it is because he at least played up until the end, until like the real knee stuff. And with Wall, it's, you know, on the positive side, he he took him deep into the playoffs a couple years. He, 
was great in the community. He, from day one, he was sort of the face of the franchise. Like, obviously there's some media stuff and he drove the PR team crazy and it's not like he wanted to get hurt. And I think he earned his contract despite not, you know, ultimately being able to live up to it. But I just, I'm having like a hard time. Like, should I feel sad that he's gone? But like, it's just a very strange feeling that I'm having at the moment. And I, I get the sense from like a lot of other Wizards fans that it's like, okay, yeah, I'm like, I'm ready for something new, but at the same time, I should maybe feel a little guilty that they got rid of him. It's just hard to wrap wrap my head around so far, I guess. Well, he's been there, man. He's been there since, since, since a young guy, right? I mean, he's been there since a young guy. He came from a, a really good program in Kentucky, so there was some, you know, connectability there, you know, with, with the fan base because those guys are, are always on TV. And he came in and he proved his work. And it's unfortunate that, he got hurt, you know, especially with signing a big contract when you know how important flexibility is as far as you know, having funds available to go out and, and bring in talent so you can be competitive year after year, right? When you pay a guy, you want to make sure that that guy is, is ready to rock and roll, you know, if not every night, damn sure every night. So, so I think that that's tough. And for the fan base to not have a chance to experience John uh, as he's getting older, as he's you know running into the you know the, the prime years of of his basketball career, and not get a chance to experience winning along with that, it's kind of a you know kind of a dull feeling. And, and I have that as a, as a Wizards fan as well. And also you know knowing Brad from from being from St. Louis is that I want these guys to be as successful as possible, and to not see him be successful, I try to figure out ways that why he's not. So as a, as a fan. He's done great within the community. It's just a, a matter of, of when a player says that it's time to go, then we have to respect that. Because if the organization makes the choice, then we accept that a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's a matter, you know, for the fan base that it's a bad feeling because he didn't play his way out. Yeah. He, he was injured, and now he's getting a chance to actually get back on the court. And all of the fans that he had, that, that he's built over the years, the first time they see him again, he's going to be in a different uniform. And I think that that's, for me, that's like, okay, what does that feel like for the, for the fan base? And that's kind of how I explain it. I just can't think of a guy that's, been like so divisive that didn't really like do anything particularly like wrong or bad you know publicly like I bet the split of people that are pro Gilbert is like 70 30 whereas like the reaction to this trade I feel like from what I've seen has been very 50 50 which was a little surprising to me and it's like all right the bum hasn't played in two years get him out of here to hey John's been our guy for a decade the organization failed him like I don't know, maybe the truth is like somewhere in the middle there, like it's time. And I hope he, I, got, I hope he has a great year in Houston. I hope that works out for him. The thing I worry about for his perspective is that Harden might still want out and then he's trapped on like a terrible rebuilding team. And as a 30, 31 year old or whatever he is coming back from injury, I, I would love to see him get a chance to be competitive at least. Yeah, and it's a total picture. And I, I've, I've said this before, is that there's, there's only one ring that, that someone's going to, you know, a team is going to win, you know, each year. But to make the decision to get out of the East and go to the West and not knowing what you have, yeah. you basically limit your opportunities. Mm-hmm. Because there's a, 
there's a pecking order in the West that's, that's pretty well established. And if you don't go in with all your, your guns blazing, then, you know, you're going to struggle. And that's hard to see a guy that's set out for a couple of years, come back, and then the other good guy on the team is looking to, to go somewhere else. So I hope that it works out for John for sure. Um, and I'd like to see at least see John and, and James play together. I don't know if it'll if it'll look good, but I at least want them to want to see it. I, yeah, I know from a, just a interest level perspective, I, I I don't know how that'll work, and and I would very much like to to see it play out. But sort of moving on a little bit from from the trade here, they they had started Wizards media availability to get ready for the season. I sat in on a couple of them so far. The one that interested me the most though was uh, was Denny Avdias um, just. You know he's the the least known quantity, so it was the one I think I had the most interest in hearing about. And a couple sets of comments stood out the most. It was he was asked about how he was a pretty good defender in the Euro League. You know, did he think that could translate? And and his answer was basically like, "Look, I'm going to watch film. Like, I'm going to know the scouting report. I'm going to do all the things I'm going to do, and I'm going to put an effort. You know, whether that results in me being a good defender or not, like I guess we'll see. But I'll do all the things I need to do to be successful, which you love to hear. And that's a polished answer, maybe more so than a lot of our veterans say, but he was asked if he could guard one through four in the NBA. And he said, I don't know, but I'll definitely try. And I just, I think that's like really encouraging to hear from someone 19, I guess maybe being a pro since you were like 12 helps you get media savvy, but uh, he's off to a good start in the, in the media room at least. Well, that, that's something that you can track. Because it's 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 okay to say, but it's not good enough to try. Mm-hmm. Because if you're trying, then you're probably getting killed. You know, <laughs> they're they're probably going at you really really hard, and you're probably getting killed. So it's it's not just enough to try, but that is something that you can track mm-hmm. because you can start to see what his progression is and how he's understanding the NBA concept. Mm-hmm. And then obviously with film, you can you can you can track effort, and his mentally mentally he's already there because he's talking about all the things that he needs to do to be successful. Now it's a case of holding him accountable to that and making sure that he's giving effort, making sure that he is watching film, making sure that he is understanding, you know, the tendencies. And I think what helped me out be a better defender is, was the scouting report. Mm-hmm. Knowing the main guys that were going to play, knowing the main guys that are, that are in your position, it's, it's, it's okay to switch and you're going to have a, a, a bunch of switches. But at the end of the day, you're going to be you're going to be graded on the guy that's next to you on on, on the scouting report. You're going to be you're going to be graded on that. So that's where you can focus at is on that scouting report, knowing the teams, the other team's tendencies, and know those things will help you. So here's a question for you. I understand how a scouting report gets made at the college level. You know, you have a particular assistant scouts a particular opponent, and maybe they grab a you know one of the video guys to help them put a set of clips together and that sort of thing. But there's a lot of turnover in college, so they're not really reusable from year to year. How does that work at the NBA level? Do, is our assistants handling that? Is it interns? Is it film guys? Or are there reusable scouting reports? Like somebody has a file on Westbrook that you break out every time you play against Westbrook. Like how does, how does that work? Yeah. Cause his book is going to travel. The mm-hmm. things that he likes to do, they're, they're going to travel. So they're going to put him in the positions that he was most successful in. And then, yes, you can go back and archive, look at the tape of, of what he did, you know, in certain situations 
after you see kind of what the plan is for us, for an example. Mm. But for a guy like that, you're good. He's going to travel with the things that he likes to do. And those tendencies have gotten him all that he's wanted. So he's going to continue to do those things. So you then can go back to OKC days or the, the Houston days when he was put in those positions that he likes to be put in. And every player that that's coming in with the name, they're going to have that those spots on the floor. They're going to have those certain looks or those certain sets. They're going to work well for them. And then you'll understand if they're a one-bounce guy, two-bounce guy, they'd like to go left to shoot their jump shot, or they like to go right to get all the way to the basket. So those things will, will travel, and those are always you can go back and archive and see, you know, how guys, you know, performed in certain situations. Again, for like colleges, it's there's a lot of variance from team to team on, on the way they play and style and things like that. It's probably less – it's more about the team style than individual tendencies. Yeah. I would imagine at the NBA level, it's most guys are running the same general types of things. So it's more about individual player tendencies. Is that fair? That That is exactly fair, right? And in college, you're going to scout for the, you know, the North Carolina secondary break, back screen, swing, you know, to drop it down low. You're going to scout for that. You're going to either take away the swing pass or try to get in front of the post. Uh, in the league, the guy that went to the post, he may like to step out. So he's not going to be the post guy, but on the individual side, he's going to step out. So you always are looking for, uh, you know, those individual tendency versus your sets because it is a copycat league and everyone is pretty much running all the same sets. Uh, just guys like the basketball in different spots on the floor um, within those sets. The other comment uh, from, from Abdiya that I liked, he got asked if he thought he would be a starter or he would come off the bench and he said, look, he wasn't worried about that at all. Like, he's going to bust his ass. And if someone, you know, else plays better than him, again, it won't be because of lack of effort. So that's not really his to control, but he's going to put himself in the position to be wherever the team needs to be. Like, again, that's, that's not really like the 19-year-old rookie answer for the most part. So um, he gets a thumbs up from me already. But he's been playing professional. So he understands that it's not always about your talent. Sometimes it's about the matchup. So he understands that. And I think he's going about it with the right, has the right approach. I think is he's in the right mental space of coming in and we're going to work. You know, sometimes if you go top 10, then, you know, you get the big head and the expectations you're going to come in and you're going to be this effective or that effective, uh, whether you come from the pro game or whether you come from college, it's hard for those things to transfer over. So Coming in with the mindset of, of I'm going to work on the defensive end to understand uh, where I need to be. And from the offensive side or just from playing standpoint, I'm just going to go in and work as hard as I can. Those are things you expect from a, from a player that's going to be around you know, a long time in the league because there is a learning curve that he's going to go through no matter what. Uh, they were supposed to have uh, today's media availability, I think, was supposed to be Bradley Beal, Thomas Bryant, or no, excuse me, Troy Brown Jr. and new point guard Raul Neto. And then I was kind of holding out hope that they would leave those still on the books after the trade. I, I guess they didn't want to do that to Brad and really put him on the spot before the team had come out. But uh, we'll, we'll relay what comes out of his comments, you know, maybe next week's episode. Uh, just, just switching gears real quick here, Larry. Uh, your former teammate and your former coach, uh, Tom Thomas and Eddie Jordan, got together for a, a podcast, uh, I want to say, either earlier this week or the end of last week. And uh, Eddie talked about how he thought the biggest mistake that Ernie Grunfeld made was the 
the thing we've talked about before, you know, when we had Gilbert on was, was letting you go. And I don't know if you, you listened to all the comments there, but I thought Eddie had some good stuff, uh, you know, good, some good insightful stuff that, that I kind of hadn't heard, you know, much about from other people. Yeah, no, we were, um, again, we were building something. We were building something. We were, as far as like the Princeton offensive body movement, play, you know, ball movement, player movement, uh, those are things that we were doing. I mean, they're doing a lot of those things now. You know, we had a group that liked each other and it was ready to go out and compete. And we had an organization of a number of people that felt that we had, we really had something going on. So with Eddie Jordan coming out and giving those comments and it, it's, we've all heard it now. I mean, we, we've all heard it now. So I understand now that, you know, everyone except Ernie knew me, yeah. you know, like really knew me, like really knew that I didn't want to negotiate fair market value. We lock it in, sign it off. And then we get back to work. Everyone knew that about me, I, I guess, except, you know, Ernie. The one guy who most needed to know that about you was the the one guy that didn't. And I, I think that, points to all the frustration of Wizards fans over the last two decades or decade and a half. Uh, the, the other thing uh, Atan mentioned was how they saw like a very noticeable difference in Gilbert from the minute you left from then on in, in terms of, you know, the stuff he pulled in the locker room and the things he got away with. And, and Gilbert himself even said that when we had him on this summer. So I would encourage folks to go back to, to listen to that. But it was interesting to hear about that from my coaching perspective too, of just like, Hey, my job just got harder having to like manage this guy's personality because, you know, you sort of took some of that weight off his shoulders a little bit. Yeah. And that's again, like the, the makeup of teams, you know, that have a bunch of draft picks that, you know, have a really young team. Uh, yes, those guys are great, but the teams that are most successful, they have a good mix of, talent, whether that's young, old veterans, guys that are transitioning out. And those are, you know, the teams that are most successful. So that's really what it means to have a good group of guys because you know what role everyone plays within the locker room on the court. And you and, and everyone involved knows, you know, who's the calming voice, who's the intensity guy, who's the rah-rah guy. And you all kind of know that. Well, I was a calming guy mm-hmm. and everyone knew that. So you couldn't come to me all excited and crazy because I was going to calm you down. And that's really what, what GA needed. I mean, I, I always, that, that's my little brother. Like, I'm going to make sure that everything that happens is going to be to the benefit of him. And he knew that. And once I was gone, it was kind of like, you know, it was, it was the wild, wild west, <laughs> literally. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, when you're young, sometimes you just need somebody to like help you get out of your own way. And it, it sounds like, he just really, you know, could have used that longer term and, and maybe things would have been different for the next, I don't know, five to seven years after that. But it, it was fun. I mean, it was fun being with that group, you know, built, you know, lifelong relationships, you know, from that group, even though it didn't end the way we all would have wanted it to, or even, you know, years later expected it to end, you know, just built really good relationships from that. And that speaks to, you know, everyone that was on that team with Eton doing, you know, podcasts, you know, GA doing his thing with podcasts and, and now, you know, working with the youth sports uh, with Jared. Uh, Jeffrey's doing his work within the, back within the NBA, you know, in the front office and Brendan Haywood, you know, doing his thing within the media. Like we all had a good relationship. And to see, you know, those teammates doing the thing that they're doing now, man, you only wish you, we would have had, you know, a longer time to build more relationships on the court. 
Thinking about the amount of stories you guys all have from such a short period of time, is it, it talks a lot about that team. But we had talked about this on a previous podcast too. Just it speaks to the to that team and its makeup that so many of you guys are are still like actively involved around the game, and and you don't see that from a ton of teams where there are like five to seven guys that are all you know, have a voice in the media or, or involved with coaching or player development, all those things. So that's, that's kind of cool. I, I wish more of that was coming from the wizards directly and involving you guys still, but uh, you know, always, always still time for that. I, I want to pivot real quick to another one of your former teammates. At least I think so. If I got the years right here, did you see the Nate Robinson knockout? Have you seen this video yet? I did. That's I rough. Did, yeah. I played I play with Nate in, in New, New York. York. Okay. Mm-hmm. It always seems like a character, and and that whole thing I just kind of thought was like a a media thing, you know, get some attention and stuff. But that's that's a pretty real knockout. What what Nate's a, a workout fanatic. I mean, he's you know in great shape when you talk about you know lifting and cardio and. But I, the commentator said it best. I think it was Snoop might have said it best. It's like you don't play boxing, like. Right. You play basketball, you can go out and you can mess around, you can play soccer, you know, like a Chad Ocho, but you don't play boxing like those guys like really know what they're doing, you know, and it's dangerous. And I, I tell my friends all the time, like, you know, when we were hanging out and there's always, you know, situations that, ha- you know, that happen when you're, you're hanging out. And we talk about if a boxer confronts you or you get into it, you know why you're out, you know, you get into it with the boxer. I wouldn't fight a boxer. Nope. I don't care if he's <laughs> yeah. 115 pounds. Yep. Like you got it, you win. Uh-huh. You know too much. And for Nate to try to play boxing, I'm I'm not sure if he's going to try to continue to do this, you know, as a thing. But from all the the media and all the the hype around it, it just seemed like it was something that was again, it was an exhibition. But man, don't play boxing. Like, don't do it. There's no good that can come from that. I mean, you, no you saw what happened in the, the main event fight after that where one of the all-time greats, you know, trying to come out of retirement like that didn't didn't even look particularly successful. But, uh, you know, Nate Robinson's not a guy I would doubt overall, you know, pretty pretty inspirational story there, you know, overcoming the height and stuff like that. But, yeah, you just – it's not, it's not worth risking the, uh, the, the health issue there, but also the embarrassment, I think, that, that he's probably feeling right now. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you learn pretty quickly that it's not like a bar fight. Yeah. So it's a real skill throwing hooks and uppercuts and all those things. Like, you're not built for that. Like, if you don't do that, don't do it. Yeah, one, one mistake, and that gets pretty ugly pretty quick. And speaking of Gil, he had to come out and comment, and he tried to give uh, Nate some inspirational words and of course, uh, Nick Young called him out for that too. So I would encourage anybody to look that up as a pretty funny exchange if they hadn't seen it. Yeah, I, I rock with Nate, but you gotta you gotta take your jokes. You know, it's, it's but you we know, and the, the comments you know said it best is like, don't play boxing. Uh, Larry, I think that was all I had for you. Obviously, uh, the the majority of the news is sort of Wizards related. Over the next week or two, I, I'd like to get into. All right, how does this team look? Where would where would we finish in the East? All that kind of stuff. Maybe break down on you know, the other teams and, and where they fit in the landscape a little bit more. And uh, folks, if you have specific questions for Larry about how he feels about any of the fits or the pairings or any of that stuff, um, 
you know, reach out and let us know. Uh, Larry, before we get out of here, any parting shots? No, just, I mean, we gave Bertons a, a lot of money, man, and he got to get some shine. He got to yep. get some media coverage, man. Yep. He's he's a shooter, you know, and he just signed a big deal. So I understand that, that Wall has, is, you know, is, is on his way out and Westbrook is coming in. Uh, but make sure you, you, you take care of Bertons as well, man, and, and give him a, give him his shout outs. I like it. Yeah, I, I think he's going to end up on the floor to close a lot of games this year if we're, if we're doing anything right. All right, everybody, that's this week's podcast. Again, let us know uh, what you want to hear about over the next couple of weeks, and, and we'll try to fit it all in. This was Believe in Wizards. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff, and we'll catch you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.